Welcome to Gone Fishing, a show diving into the cybersecurity threats that surround our highly connected lives. Every human is different. Every person has unique vulnerabilities that expose them to potentially successful social engineering. On this show, we'll discuss human vulnerability and how it relates to unique individuals. I'm Connor Swam, CEO of FinSecurity, and welcome to Gone Fishing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Fishing. I'm your host, Connor, CEO at Finn, and I am joined once again by a repeat guest we have, Martin, CTO and founder of Tech ID Manager. Martin, how are you doing? Good. How about you, Colin? Connor? <laughs> if I were any better, I'd be a twin. <laughs> a lot of people do call me Colin, and if I am out to eat or whatever, or I'm getting some fast food and I give them my name, almost always comes back as Colin. Yeah? yeah. I think it's dyslexia on my part. Like All letters get flipped around, numbers get flipped an issue for a long time. I will uh I don't know if it's ever happened to you but you know I'll get I'll get the text message with my six digit code for my bank account plug it in this was wrong. What? And I look yeah. back I'm like how did I enter this in completely backwards? It's like <laughs> it's like I don't believe I have dyslexia but like I'm like it was six digits how did I get them all wrong? Uh it's just yep. blows my mind. I uh was bought something I bought something last night on the internet entered my credit card number and then the CVV the CCV whatever that little three digit number is. Yep. It got declined. It was like the first time I'd used a brand new credit card. I called the bank. I was like, hey, this got declined. And they're like, well, wrong CCV was entered. I looked back at the other screen. I was like, oh, yep. this is the wrong number. Let me type three digits correctly this time. Hey, it happens. It happens it to all of us. You're busy. You're doing stuff. Busy. Don't want to think about it for sure. So weaponization of AI. Uh, we actually just had Jimmy Hatz on the podcast who started oh. an AI-focused company. So we talked a tiny bit about this. but. How do you think AI can be weaponized? It's something people are really worried about. The, I think that AI is a phenomenal thing. It is a great tool. And like all tools, it can be used for good or bad. I don't think AI is specifically being used for bad right now on the majority. I think the biggest issue, the biggest problem is that people will start to trust AI mm-hmm. and they will inappropriately apply it without understanding the foundation behind it. So yeah. they'll be like, oh, AI, buy me... Dinner tickets, AI bake me reservations, AI buy me a car, AI drive this car somewhere, and they pick the wrong spot and the car wrecks. Or they just pick the wrong spot, they pick up the wrong person. And there's a, a lot of things where I think an AI will innocuously go wrong and cause more problems than actual weaponization, but it can totally be weaponized and go wrong too. Um, we were just talking before, before we started about some inappropriate uses or some off-color uses of AI that people go through. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, it's an interesting, I guess, moral debate is if AI drives all of our cars and causes less accidents than humans per year, but still causes accidents. Is that something we are willing to tolerate as a society? And a lot of people's knee jerk reactions is absolutely not. Uh, and others is, what do you mean? There's more people alive. Of course we should do that. And it's like, well, the human didn't do that. The AI did it. And that's bad. And like, why did the AI do it is a really big question in Germany a couple of years ago. They, law- they passed a law that said you had to know if you had a self driving car. And it did have a wreck. You had to be able to point to the programming line and why and be able to fix it. With AI and the large training models, you can't do that. So like the beyond the just the quantities, lives for lives, there's a question about like what happened? Why did it wreck? Can we make it better? We can improve it. Just like with a person. I think a lot of people have issue with that. Don't letting cars drive because there's nobody to hold accountable. Yeah. And people want that retribution. They want that revenge, that justice. Justice really is revenge in a lot of cases like, oh, you killed my friend, you go to jail. You get punished. You can't punish a car. 
there is a, an incessant human need to attribute uh, not only good, but bad things to a thing. And so uh, it's like, if you get in a car accident, actually my wife was just in a car accident. And one of the, I guess the therapeutic methods that humans have is like, that person's to blame. In this case, this person absolutely was like, he rear-ended like six cars and they all got in an accident. So it's like, yeah, but it's like, if an AI is driving that car, it's like, it got, guy throws his hands up. He's like, I wasn't driving. Like, what do you, I'm, I'm a victim like you. Uh, and that's not a comfortable place for humans to be because there's nowhere to channel that blame. Yeah. And the unpredictability of the other drivers is something that AI will struggle with. I think the first self-driving Tesla car wreck was a bus ran into a Tesla, right? Out in California. It wasn't Tesla's fault. The bus driver literally swerved into it. Yep. A union bus driver. I think the, there were even undertones in that, that I think there were undertones if I remember right. That was many years ago. That it was the union who said, like, if you can hit a Tesla to keep it from taking our jobs, hit it. Wow. Yeah. So, like, it's not just AI that can be a problem. It's people's perception of AI that can cause problems. How can AI be weaponized? So, Tech ID Manager is about securing admin accounts. And, you know, I see the little stop sign right here. Stop sharing your admin (laughs) accounts. How could AI be weaponized to make that a larger problem? To make, you know, unintended access to accounts or stealing passwords? How is that AI going to impact that? A lot of hackers today, as a hacker, you can go buy a toolkit to perform the hacking. You can just point it at a client and say, go hack this client. And all the methods that are in that toolkit are available for the hacker. As AI becomes more available and AI can do better phishing, better tricking, better social engineering of people, um, it becomes more of a problem. It's really a, a, like an arms race where hackers are trying to one-up security professionals and then security professionals trying to one-up hackers. Like the, uh, the MGM hack. I heard that that was... AI generated voice to fake the voice of the person they were trying to fish or well, trying to impersonate to get the password reset. Now that is pretty specific use of AI for a hack that somebody needs to protect against. I, uh, I already brought up Jimmy once this podcast, but I remember something he did a few months ago is with just 30 seconds of training and some, some cases even less 30 seconds of your voice is enough for AI models to create what is actually very believable voice. And so I talk with Jimmy all the time. We're friends, we talk, whatever. I've, I've done webinars with him. I've had conversations. I know what his voice sounds like. And then he showed me, he played clips. He's like, what do you want me to say? And he typed it into his computer and we played it over our Zoom chat. I was like, if this were anything less than crystal clear, perfect reception right now, if this were on a phone, I'd be thinking I was talking to you. That's It, it was that believable with just 30 seconds of his voice. And so if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, how many of your employees or of the people you work with or of your boss or anyone in your company, how many of them have at least 30 seconds of their voice somewhere on the internet? The answer is almost all of us do, almost every single person. And so now we live in a world where, you know, deliberating fact from fiction gets infinitely harder. Yeah. And it becomes infinitely harder when you start talking, it becomes more serious when you're talking about court cases. Like, is that then applicable in a court case? You know, Jimmy said, he wanted to kill somebody. And then that person ends up dying and you go to a court case. The, that, is that evidence admissible? Is it not admissible? Are there experts that can tell the difference? And like, as technology gets better, what once was admissible in court is no longer going to be admissible. You're going to have to go back to somebody saying, I saw that in person. Hearsay. Yeah. There's a lot of really serious court legal questions around what's admissible and what's not when it comes to this generated stuff. You know? No, I, I do. And uh, there was, of course, the, the case of that lawyer who used it to create, um, air quoting for those of you who are just listening, 
create fake casework. It's like, give me reason, like, give me the, the previous case law that will help me prove this. And it just, damn, I just made up cases and the guy presented it in court. And I, I think he, he was, uh, almost, I don't know if he was disbarred or not, but I know it was a question of, is this person going to get disbarred? Um, it was just insane. It's like, well, one, why would you trust that? But two, you didn't do any research after the fact. Crazy. I mean, it really does. Like if you use uh, ChatGPT, it's a LLM, a large language model. It's just picking what word comes next with some sort of probability change. It is not actually able to take coherent thoughts, look up and give reference sources. It's just picking the next word that probably follows it. So in those cases where you want sightings and you put courses or put verbs from sightings and you put the reference behind it, that reference is just the next word that happened to come. If that same set of sight is in 50 different places and 25 of them get it wrong and 25 of them get it right or 25 don't attribute it correctly, then the LLM is just going to give you the wrong reference or the wrong sighting. And people need to understand that. I use ChatGPT all the time for programming and for marketing and sales literature and stuff like that. And a lot of times it gives good information. It's really useful. Probably 90% of the time. 10% of the time, it's just wrong. And it is so wrong as to be deplorable and breaking stuff. And that's where I think the, like I was saying in the beginning, the inappropriate use of AI will cause problems. Like when you use Visual Studio, it has in it help for auto-completing lines of programming. And most of the time, it's really good. It gives you really valid lines of code that are going to do exactly what you want based on what you've done recently. But quite a bit of the time, it'll give you a line of code that is so abhorrently wrong that it's going to break the program. It'll compile, it'll run, it'll do something, but it'll do the totally wrong thing. I think that is where people will inappropriately apply AI. Like new programmers will get a job and they'll use AI to generate this big program and they'll compile it, it runs, and they'll send it out in the world. All of a sudden, that program breaks because the AI wrote it and the person didn't think about it. The AI is just an LLM. Yeah. You know, it's like this pattern seems to be what they want. Uh, a statement I make is AI is great at getting rid of the blank page, but you should not treat it like a blank slate. And what I mean by that is don't just accept the outcome without discern, like without discerning, is this the outcome I actually wanted? It's like, you still need to do all of the effort as to say, this is exactly what I wanted. Yep. This makes sense. Okay. Let me go check. Does this apply to my use case? But if you just ask it a question, cause you're like, well, you know, give me 10 things, give me 10 story, uh, give, get 10 worlds where I can make a, a short story on right now. Cause you're having trouble getting through writer's block or whatever. It's like, boom, it'll spit out 10 fictional things. You're like, all right, I'm ready to roll. But if you say, you know, give me a synopsis of these court cases and how it applies to mine, it's like, mm, you should probably really, really dive into was this an actual synopsis? Was this the correct application of law and logic or was it not? Yeah. Yeah. I got rendered a real interesting case a couple of months ago. I was asking Chad GPT for the value of a particular constant as part of a, a part of a larger prompt set, asking for the value of a particular constant that was in a header file. To put in the code. And it kept saying, you should look up the header file. Those are, you shouldn't hard code numbers. You should look up header files, which are the common responses that you can find in internet forums, places like that, programming advice. So it was truly choosing the best next word. But then the next prompt, I asked it to write some code and it put that value directly in there, which was counter to all the advice it had just given. Now, so like you're saying, you, should, you can take it as the, the blank slate to fill in something, but then you have to check the results. You have to be like, First, a gut sanity check, is this the right kind of thing? And then you have to go pretty far and say, let me actually understand what this is, understand how this is going to work. And then is this the right thing to apply? Because if you don't, 
you'll fall into the trap of trusting technology and you shouldn't. You know, maybe it's that that's too human. It's a very human thing to give a whole bunch of advice and then do the opposite. I would say so. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's that the recommendation is too human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, I was out west hiking. It was semi related, like over dependence on technology and how web, how AI will be weaponized and cause problems. I was out west hiking many years ago when the iPhone first came out and had a GPS and a map on it. Standing in this um, outfitter store talking about this hike up a mountain out in the middle of the wilderness. And this lady beside me was like, well, I'm doing that hike too. And the guy was like, well, we have maps for that hike. And she's like, no, I have my iPhone. It has a GPS on it. I don't need your map. And we were all like, well, there's no cell service out there in the middle of Utah. On the Rocky Mountains, you probably want to take a paper map and a compass. She's like, no, I have an iPhone. And she just stormed out of the store thinking we were idiots. When her reliance on technology was so complete and utter, even though she didn't understand how it worked, that it actually had to talk to a cell site, get the information that I think the same thing is going to happen in AI. And then people will take that and weaponize it. When people overly trust it is the point at which it can be most weaponized. People will trust it to be like, hey, what should I eat for dinner? Oh, you should eat soap. What? You should eat cascade packets. It has antibacterial qualities. Antibacterial qualities that clean out your insides. It's all the good (laughs) stuff it does for your dishes. It's got to do good stuff for you. You And then when you can convince people to trust technology, then that's when it will be seriously weaponized to tell people how to vote, how to think, where to go, what to do for a job. Now, all that traditional propaganda stuff is very peak, very key place that things will be weaponized. We've already seen it in several political ads this year where candidates have used AI-generated images to say negative things about other candidates, and then they stuck by it even when it was shown that the images they used in their ads were AI-generated were not real images. How do we stay safe? Uh, as a populace, trust people have. I think that the society of there got me on my little soapbox here. My wife often like, I'll start talking and she'll do this, yeah. and she'll like push it toward me. She's like, "Here's your soapbox. Here's your soapbox." Yeah, yeah. But, like, <laughs> I think that society needs to be more deeper person-on-person connections and less micro connections, as they're called. So you know, don't depend. Don't think somebody's your friend just because you see them on Facebook, just because you know something about their life. Unless you've sat down, had a meal, spent time together, done hard things together, that's not your friend. Your friend is someone who you can trust and you know, and a lot of people consider celebrities their friends. There's a whole mentality around that. But those micro friendships, if you have actual friends, people that you talk to, people you can bounce ideas off of, and you don't just depend on technology, AI loses a lot of its power. Technology loses a lot of the bad things it can do. And you are smart and you have friends. That's what I think. What do you think? Why? How do you think we can fight the weaponization of AI? I think there are two specific things. I was on a webinar yesterday talking about this. Um, In a world where it is increasingly hard to delineate between fact and fiction, between real requests, authentic requests, and non-authentic requests, like social engineering or a true request to change your bank account information, what is the thing preventing you from believing um, the, the fake request? And the answer is, some kind of process in place where you validate via a secondary form of communication that you know to be authentic. The very pedantic example I always give is if you get a request via email from some person to change the banking information on an invoice that's going to come to them, what should you do? Well, the answer is to walk down the hall, talk to them in person, call them on the phone. If you have their cell phone number and you know that to be their cell phone number or three, drive to their place of business and say, I need to talk with this person. Show me them. Boom. All of a sudden, you're no longer going to get things stolen through changing invoice-related information. If that process 
it's followed 100% of the time. doesn't matter if that request came from some LLM generating a very, very believable and, and what could be the exact same request that the real person and the authentic individual would create. What matters is you had a process that circumvented the fact that that should have not been believed. Um, second thing, which uh, probably a lot of AI practitioners are going to get upset with if it actually comes to pass, is some kind of tag. Like the government forces advertisers with social media um, influencers to disclose when they're advertising, when they've been paid to advertise some kind of thing. So if somebody's saying, hey, you should go buy this dress, you have to disclose in the ad or in the in the text below the image. Like I'm just going to use Instagram as an, as an example. This was a paid partnership or hashtag ad or some variation of I got paid to do this. And I would love to see a similar thing happen with AI is this was AI generated. Like this person is not real. This image is fake. Well, fake is, you know, what I don't even yeah. want to use the term fake is AI generated. This was not human generated. This was AI generated. I think that would go a lot, a lot of the way to help people give them more tools at their disposal to decide, should I believe this? Should I not? Is this something great? Is this something bad? It just gives the, the individual more tools. The, uh, to wrap back around to the car, self-driving car situation where there's nobody to blame, if you have a law that says you have to put some marker, watermark, some indicator on an AI image and since it's AI, bad people won't do that. It will make the images more trusted and there's nobody to blame. Yep. Because when there's, with the influencers placing product ads, there's still a lot of product placement that goes on without being disclosed. It's still paid. Yeah. And there's, uh, but makes it harder to know. I think that laws laws can help, but good people have to make good choices. This is society. You have to understand. Here's an item. This is the new way that we are living. Like I just got a an S24 Plus phone from Samsung, and it has all these AI features that are supposed to be built into it, removing people from pictures, adding people to pictures. And I saw a discussion of it a while ago, and they're like, the first thing that somebody's going to have to ask when you send them a picture in the future on the cell phone is not, is this a real picture, but what did you fake in this picture? <laughs> that is interesting. You know, the easiest to believe lies are ones that have half truths in them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Crazy. I'm, I am super excited to see how AI continues to change society, all the facets. And then like all the things that come from it. Uh, one thing I always, I always say is um, there are people who are like, Oh, uh, what are you going to do in a world where AI replaces humans? And I always come back with this response. It's like, well, Let's think about two realities, a world where no human needs to be involved at any part in the creation of a good or a service ever, because general AI just solves all of that for us. It's like, you're worried about what my opinion on us never having to work again is going to be? <laughs> like, I, it feels a bit, you know, small in scope here. And then secondarily, it's like every single technology revolution that has ever occurred in all of human history didn't remove humans need. It changed the need for the human. It's like. I get it if generalized AI exists in that place. It's like that's a completely separate thing. But it's like, let's assume that's not going to happen. Because if it does happen, none of us care anymore. I don't have to work. You don't have to work. You do whatever you want. You become an artist or you still work on only the things you enjoy. It's like, that is the scope of the reality you're trying to tell me I need to plan for. It's like, uh, I'll, I'll plan for the other one, which is my job's going to have to change because now I can leverage AI to help me do it. Yep. I love sci-fi and that is often called a post-scarcity society. Yeah, where there is no longer scarcity, everything is taken care of. People can just do what they want, do what they enjoy. <laughs> yeah, it's like so. It's like, wait a second. It's like, let me ask you a question. 
why do you believe a world exists where there is the perfect distribution of all resources anyone is ever going to need? It's like, go. Like, I don't believe we, that there is a perfect yeah. distribution. Yeah, like, I believe that we can have enough. It doesn't yeah. matter how much you get. Exactly. Uh, if somebody wanted to connect with you or connect with uh, Tech ID Manager to figure out what you are all about, how would you suggest they do that? Uh, TechIDManager.com. There's a, there are buttons on there. There's contact information. I'm Martin at TechIDManager.com. Check it out. We would love to talk to anybody who wants to talk to us about what we do. Awesome. Uh, for those of you listening or watching, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to Martin, feel free to do so. I'm sure he'd love to have a conversation. Uh, until then, thanks so much for listening. Martin, thanks for being here. It was a blast. And I'm sure we'll see you all in the next episode. Thanks for having me, Connor. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about creating high-quality security awareness training campaigns that engage employees and change their habits, then check out FinSecurity at phinsec.io or click the link in our show notes. Thanks for fishing with me. See you next time.